You know you're created for more. Now let's do something about it. Welcome to Project You, the space for you to embrace the I can, I will philosophy and finally start making progress towards your goals, your dreams, and your desires. Be kind, supportive, and remember every day that the blueprint for you is within. I'm Cami Craig. Today, let's work on Project You. Hi, you guys. Welcome to Project You with Cami Craig. I'm here today after taking a week off because I decided I needed it. I decided that I needed some self-care. I needed some time to just be me and to regroup with Project You and coming out and finding the finding the energy on the topics that are ahead of us and we got some amazing topics in, in ahead of us right now. I am sitting here with two dear friends that I've gotten over that I've gotten to know over the past couple months and these two people are researchers. They're one's a doctor and one's one's a human that is researching and 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 being a scientist in the field that we're that we're about to talk about right now and 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 they are here today to give hope. They're here today to give insight and to see the future of brain health options when it comes to trauma, when it comes to being indecisive when it comes to discursive thinking, when it comes to moods and vibes that you that aren't you, let's just say that. So I would like to introduce Connie Ray and Dr. Zavala here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you, Cami. I'm just overjoyed with what you do. You are an inspiration yourself. And then just most recently getting to know Dr. Zavala, I just have such respect uh, for him and the work that's being done at Brain Health Restoration. And I feel honored that I get to be a part of what they are creating and putting forth because it is truly what I see and what my family sees as uh, options for families that have been struggling with, with depression and anxiety and trauma. This, to me, is, is the future of, of brain health. Thank you. And I'm just going to cut to the chase right here, right <laughs> now, you guys. Um, we're here in the topic today, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread like wildflower. <laughs> It'll spread like wildfire. But it's the what neurobiology can tell us about suicide. That's a huge topic that people don't want to talk about. And we do have Dr. Zavala here from Brain Health Restoration. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And, and, and Connie, uh, you're here to tell a story with us today. Is that right? Yes. I yeah. And, and I do want to thank you. And I, I want to commend you for your purpose and your passion in life. Um, again, just to be super open and vulnerable with our audience and Project You. Um, it's, it's beautiful to... to hear a person's voice for a long time right in our community her name's connie ray you guys <laughs> and uh and 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 look up to a human that's that's really out there and being a part of the community and then all of a sudden as a grown adult here i am sitting sitting in project you podcast right now with two superpower humans that are so driven and so intentful with their with their reason, and um, know that I looked up to you. I, I heard you. I heard you. And now <laughs> so I get sweet. to sit here. And so it's just amazing how how God works and how He just keeps fitting the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzles together. But here you are working with brain health restoration because you believe in it so much because of the story that has has hit your family. I will start with uh, saying that. I never thought I would be 
where I am right now, today, at this moment, but uh, my good friend Grant Denton, who we all know from the Karma Box Project, he said something inspiring to me just a few short weeks ago, and he said, everything that you've done in your life leads up to this moment right now. Mm-hmm. It's the decisions that you made, the choices that you made, and they, it got you to where you are right now. I don't necessarily feel as though I wanted what happened to my family to happen to me. If I could go back and change it, I would. But unfortunately, that's not where I'm at. So if our family and our having the conversations about suicide can change what we see around us and can help other people and other families, that is what our mission is. And so if I can be the vessel to express that information and be a part of helping brain health get not just get the word out but really have people understand that there is another option and really understand that the more that we can look at neuroscience and what the brain does how connected everything is and i am just so pleased that this is where we're at. I think it's where we need to be at. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, doctor, but I recently read something that said that 69% of all ailments that we have, whether it's cancer, a cold, they come from your brain. It begins in your brain that something is not working correctly. And that gut-brain connection is something that I've been really intrigued about over the years. I know, Cammy, you talk a lot about that mm-hmm. as well. And I think that that for me has just been one component, uh, the gut-brain connection. But I'm realizing as I move through this journey that it's so much more than that. And we have an opportunity right here in this moment to educate ourselves more about what we can do to better our brain health. That's right. Right. And we're talking about it. So the medical community, this is something that's new for us it's been forward-thinking doctors. It's been, you know, integrative health doctors that have been talking about this ten years ago, at least. Mm-hmm. And and now we're just everyone's kind of getting on board with it. So I'm glad that you're bringing up that topic. And I think it's so relevant right now. Um, you continue to see more and more since COVID. Mental health is in the forefront of all of this. Whether you thought you were affected by mental health before this, you certainly are now. Uh, I work with Crisis Support Services of Nevada, and to see that their phone calls have gone up over 200% since March, and it's phone calls from people who never saw themselves in a mental health crisis before. This, to me, points that it's now that we need to be talking about brain health, we need to be talking about difficult conversations, suicide, anxiety and depression and what that really does, not just to ourselves, but the people around us and our families and our loved ones and what can we do to better these circumstances for others and how can we be more aware so that not necessarily that we're going to stop whatever is going to happen, but the more that we're educated, the more we can be there for others who are struggling. And we can definitely intervene. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. And when we work with brain health restoration, I've noticed that the words anxiety, depression, suicide keep jumping up. 
You know, and so what we wanted to do is, is this is the year to work on our mental health. This is the year to have the self-care. That's why I took the week off. I'm like, okay, regroup. I was getting too many ideas. I need to get in my journal. I need to, I need to go away for a second, you know, and come back. And practicing that is, is, is so challenging when we live in a time of the world that it, it is impacted as it is, but also in a time that time is a constraint. You know, it's really hard to sit back and be like, gosh, are these feelings real? And what do I do about them? And then to actually ask for help is a whole nother level of strength. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, but I do want to say we're, we're going to continue to, to speak on these topics when it comes to anxiety and depression. And Dr. Zavala and I and everyone at Brain Health Restoration, now including you, wanted to talk about one of the hardest topics that there is, which is suicide which is there's some that have completed and then there's some that have attempted, right? And, I'm, and I'm, I've been just been immersed in this research of suicide and I've noticed that over the research I've done, suicide rates are currently climbing in the U.S. and many other countries and suicide is now the second leading cause of death among young people globally after traffic accidents, of course. And we're, we're learning that this might be a huge number and I can't even I can't even wrap my brain around it, but we're we're seeing the numbers to every forty seconds there's a person that takes their own life. Mm-hmm. That's wow. yeah. That's when crazy. You say it like that. When... Yep. And then you think on top of that the people that have thought about it or attempted mm-hmm. or have that suicidal ideation that they're dealing with on a daily basis, it never it never ends for them. It's a constant battle of should I go through with the thoughts that they have. That's right. And and those are those are things that we'll talk about in the, in a little bit later, but the suicide behaviors, you know, and I, I can't wait to hear and understand this a little bit more. And we do want to encourage on Project U right now, if you know of someone that is battling, if you know of someone that might need this, but you're just unsure of how to transfer this information, it's going to be a quick copy this link and send it out copy this link and send it out because this is this is what Dr. Zavala and Connie Ray and now myself are, are, are embedded in, which is to to help other people to be able to intervene. Um, I, I've, I've noticed that there's no field of scientific inquiry that can single-handedly untangle a phenomenon as complex as suicide. There's many doctors, there's many researchers, there's many scientists out there that are hoping to shed the light on the problem by digging into neurobiological processes, underlining thoughts about ending one's own life and attempts to do so. This work is building support for the idea that suicide is tied to specific biochemical changes that can be measured and targeted independently of and possibly in parallel with the mental health disorders they often accompany. So findings from this work from Connie Ray and Dr. Zavala and all the scientists and researchers out there, all they have is hope. Hope that they can reveal new treatments and perhaps even opportunities to identify the people most at risk in the time to intervene. And that's going to open, open, um, open you up, Connie, to sharing some, some things. So I'll, I'll kind of go back a, a ways. Um... I met my husband and at the time he was, you know, a single dad and he was raising two girls and he was divorced from his ex-wife and there were issues with drugs. Um, At the time, uh, his ex-wife was heavily involved in methamphetamines. Uh, His, the two girls, uh, Katie and Jesse, 
Katie was not my husband's biological daughter, but he had raised her from the time that she was two years old. And, you know, they were always together. And it was always Katie and Jesse. When I came into their lives, um, Jesse was seven and her sister was, you know, 11 years old, almost 12. And it was obvious that their mother was very much in the midst of her addiction. At the time, my husband was very unsure of how to handle the situation. This wasn't his biological daughter, so he was just trying to kind of maintain. Um, and at that time, I was also working with Step 2, which was a local nonprofit that helps women and their families in recovery. And I was very, very close at the time uh, with their executive director, Diaz Dixon. Mm -hmm. um, Diaz was a lifeline, I would say, for my husband and I. We were very much reaching out to him quite often and just trying to figure out and navigate what was happening. When Katie was a freshman at Galena High School, uh, she was cutting herself. And that was really when things began to unravel in the sense that uh, at that time, CPS was called in and um, that was when it was discovered that their mother was in the midst of addiction. Um, shortly after that, uh, the girls were removed from their mother and uh, were put in, we ended up going to court and getting guardianship for Katie and then his daughter Jessie came to live with us full time. And at that time, uh, we did, we, I, I want to say that I have nothing but wonderful things to, uh, to say about the county in the sense of how this was all handled. We had a wonderful uh, lady from CPS. Um, she was phenomenal. Uh, the way the programs were structured, the girls were immediately put into counseling. And we had a wonderful therapist uh, by the name of Annette Carney. And it was at that time when we really started to realize that things were not right with Katie, and worse than we had suspected. I knew that she was struggling because she was starting to understand her mother's addiction. Um, but I don't think, I don't think she really understood how severe it was and who would when you're 13, 14 mm -hmm. years old. It's not where your mind is and you're just wanting your parents to be normal. Um, immediately there were challenges. Uh, Katie was a compulsive liar. There were behavioral issues. She was very, um, I would say that when she was put into a situation, she learned to morph into whatever was needed, which I know now is a survival mechanism, um, just through the counseling. And it was, that was at that time, um, her counselor had said to us that she was struggling with bipolar disorder and, um, that she was absolutely having issues with depression and anxiety. But at the same time, we also knew that Katie's uh, mother had a history of suicide in her family. And at that time, the drugs that were being prescribed were, they were all part of the may cause suicide or suicide as a side effect. So we opted not to go down the pharmaceutical route because we were so nervous about a 14, 15 year old being on these pharmaceuticals. And so we did a, most of the work that we did was through therapy. Um, and it was a struggle. It was, um, 
you know, how do you get a 14-year-old to really open up to you that has been in this situation for 14 years where everything was to be kept a secret, she had been put in environments and then ripped out of environments and then told that we would never speak of that person again. That's traumatic uh, on a child. And, um, and then it was also, you know, it was different because we had these two girls where Jessie was just thriving to be away from her mom. She was, for her, it was just, I want to forget that time. I'm here with my dad. I'm in a safe environment. Uh, we struggled a lot with Katie, and um, right after she graduated high school, she she left. She moved herself out, and uh, she was back and forth at a boyfriend's place, and then she met a boy and ended up moving to Oregon. What we know now during that time is that um, she was living with a, a boy that she barely knew who was living with a brother who was an alcoholic, so they were in this not very good environment and so they decided to get out of that environment and to do so they joined the marines before she went into boot camp she was literally living in a shed of the back of the recruiter's house because she had nowhere to live um, when katie went to the marines it was a great thing we were so proud of her when she came home she just seemed to have purpose and it was something that we we just saw a future for her we felt like she was on the right path but it pretty much after that things were just chaotic in the sense that we were hearing she would be pregnant and then not pregnant mm -hmm. and with this boy and not with this guy and there came a, a point where um we kind of had to distance ourselves from her just the mental strain of it all was very challenging for my husband and I we were raising two other girls now we also had our daughter that we had together and we had always told Katie that we would be there for her but that um, we needed honesty in, in our lives and it was just I think that that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about mental health is that not only is the individual that's living with the mental illness struggling, but the family members, it's a constant battle with yourself. Are you doing enough? Are you not doing enough? Are you, are you doing the right thing? Are you doing the tough love thing? And it can be challenging. Um, Katie got married at a very young age and had her first daughter, Marilyn. She was 21 years old, and uh, we were just very nervous about her having a baby and knowing that she was unstable, but it seemed to bring joy to her. And I think I know now, um, just knowing bipolar disorder and the ups and the downs that come with that, there's really, really highs and there's really, really lows. Um, Katie ended up... Uh, having two other babies pretty much back to back after that. So she had three young children um, that were all, you know, under the age of four. And we, in December of 2018, we were really starting to rebuild our relationship with Katie. Um, my husband and I had met with her husband and the kids after her little boy was born. He was premature, so he had been spending some time at Renown. And at that, before that time, Katie and I had been, she'd been really leaning on me to help rebuild her relationship with her dad. 
and we met with them in December and it was great. Um, it was beautiful. You know, we got to see her kids and she seemed so incredibly happy and so happy that she had a relationship with her dad again. Mm -hmm. And I remember that night after our visit, you know, she gave me a hug and she whispered in my ear and she said, thank you so much for making this happen. And I was just so happy. I was like, this is it. You know, we, we brought the two of them back together and they were communicating, my husband and, and Katie. Um, it was slow and gradual, but it was happening. They would text each other and we would call and her birthday was in May and we had wanted to get together with her, but she, uh, her husband was a Marine stationed up at Bridgeport and she was always saying things like, what's well, so hard with the kids and the schedule. And so every time we would try to get back together, you know, something was coming up. We were still talking, but things were coming up and I just had been away from her that daily routine. So it wasn't clicking in my mind that this was something I should have been concerned about because she was still talking to her dad. And on, on August 10th, um, we, went, we went to dinner to celebrate. And um, when we were coming home, the phone, my husband's phone was ringing and it was a Kansas number and her husband's family is from Kansas. And, I kept telling him, you know, he was like, oh, this must be a wrong number. And finally I said, no, I said, you know, Katie's husband, he's from Kansas, you know, maybe, maybe it's his number. And, um, so he answered the phone and that day was Marcus's first birthday. And we had sent texts and called earlier in the day to leave messages for her son. And then Sloan, her husband, called and he said to Blaine, he was kind of a little bit hysterical on the phone that Katie was dead. And um, I remember my husband was like in the living room and he went back into the back bedroom and I could tell something was wrong. And he just kept saying, no, no, you, you stay there with the kids and you will, will be okay. And we'll, we'll come out to see you. We'll come see you. And he just kept asking questions. And then he looked up at me and he said, Katie shot herself. And, and then when he got off the phone, you know, I don't, I don't know how to explain that moment, but there's this, there's just something like your whole world just kind of stops. I, I feel like you're in this like fog and that immediately started because you just can't believe what's going on. But Sloan had said that usually when he would leave his station at Bridgeport, he would call right before he would go through the canyon because there's no cell service. And they had made plans that they were going to go out that evening for Marcus's birthday and that he would be home. And 
you know, when he got home after the kids had had a nap, they would go out. And what we know is that Katie laid the kids down for a nap and she typed up a note and walked in her bedroom and shot herself. Yeah. You know, your world just is completely shattered. Yeah. And there are so many things that are running through your mind, you know, at that time. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I, I could not believe this, that this was what was happening. But then at the same time, you could, which I can't explain that. Um, because you knew the past and you knew. And as the days unfolded, we were spending time with her husband and his family and their, her friends and we were learning. She was struggling and you know, she was struggling because her husband is working 50, 60 hours a week as a Marine and she's raising these three kids and she was withdrawing from friends. Um, the friends that she had had, she was making new friends that people didn't feel like were good for her and she would be invited to things and all of a sudden she wouldn't want to go and she, it later came out that one of her friends had, uh, Katie had told her that she had thought about doing this, uh, but her friend didn't believe her, you know, she just didn't think that she would do that because Katie would always say, well, I can't do that, you know, I, I've got the kids and I wouldn't do that to them. But I think, I think that Katie saw some things in herself that reminded her of situations that were happening when she was growing up and as a child. And I don't think that she wanted that for her children. I don't think it's right what she did, but I also don't know that pain. I don't know, I've never been in that place in my mind so I'd never want to take away from someone who's been in that position but I think a lot of things started to add up as we dove more and more into what was going on and I know that uh, Katie was on varying medications um, she was going to a military physician you know through the base and um the Wednesday before she took her life, um, that was on a Wednesday, she had told her husband that she just didn't feel comfortable with the meds. She felt foggy and out of it. And he had said, well, your doctor's appointment is Monday, so maybe if you want to just not take your meds and then we'll tell them that we don't like them. And then she took her life on Friday. Mm. And I don't, I don't have proof that that was what was going on. But what I do know is that she was just getting medications at like going and taking it for a week and then not liking it and kind of going and saying, I don't like this. And then they would say, well, try this. So in my mind, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a physician, but I kept thinking, well, how do you know what's in your system and what's not in your system and I had been around mental health and mental illness my brother was adopted he was severely abused he had grew up with fetal alcohol syndrome and had lots so I was familiar with certain things but and I and I don't 
I don't think that pharmaceuticals are bad. I know for my brother, they have been a good thing for him. They've stabilized him um, and helped him. You know, he's had his own struggles with addiction, but has been clean and sober now for almost 10 years and has done very well. But I understand what, what the situation was. I just think that Katie was in so much pain and wasn't able to get over a lot of the traumas. And I think, and Dr. Zavala, you may know more about bipolar disorder than me, but those highs are really high and the lows are really low. And when the lows are that low and you start to see traits in yourself that you may not like or recognize as traits that were not positive for you growing up, I'm sure that as a mother, those have got to eat at you. Bless your heart for sharing your story. Um, I'm realizing just sitting right here that suicide's way more than being very depressed. Uh, from what you say, it's, it's, it's factors and elements such as family history. Mm-hmm. You know, there's... Uh, genetic variant uh, elements there too and then there's early life adversity and that's where that's where I'm noticing uh, I just listened to this podcast from Joe Rogan and it's just about you know it comes down to connection it comes down to love and warmth my mom always said all all you need baby girl to give my kids is love warmth and food you know love warmth and food love warmth and food you know and so when that's mistreated there's neglect there and all the different, you know, deterrents to that, then there's some times where it leads to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And, and I know why we're meeting today is to talk about this. Suicide behaviors, neurobiology, neurochemical science, all, all of the things so, so we can help intervene. Because, because looking back, you see the signs. Oh, totally. And I, you know, I... I read something after Katie had died about how suicide, like it trickles down, you know, it's not just the immediate family, it's, you know, it's everybody, it's the person, believe it or not, it's the person that you get your coffee from at the coffee shop that's not going to see you the next day, they're going to know that you're not there, and I think there was something that was just, for Katie, that was missing, that she just didn't see how her worth her value the way we do but I don't think it was I do believe there was a chemical imbalance there was on top of trauma on top of postpartum depression on top of meds you know I just feel it was like layer upon layer and I know from her friends her she was her husband who you know I just love him to death he's a wonderful man he's from a small town in, in Kansas. And uh, I just think in his mind, he wanted her to heal her relationship with her mom. So he was thinking this would be better for her when in actuality it was such severe anxiety of being around her mom, which is what I'm now knowing from friends. And and I've gone through this with my brother. He did reconnect with his father, his biological father, and it didn't go well. So, you know, we hear all these great stories out there. Oh, you know, I mended my relationship with my abusive dad, or, you know, I mended my relationship with my drug, you know, my alcoholic mom. It's not always that way. 
And I think that we need to understand that it's also okay if you can't mend those relationships. You can love a, you can love from afar. Exactly. You yeah. can love from afar or you can learn to love yourself more so that it kind of transcends that that need. But I also understand that as a child, you want your mother's love and appreciation, right? This is what you want. And that was what I think was hard for me was that like I wanted to be everything to those girls. I did. And I was like in it full on. How 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 big is the statement when we hear and I didn't recognize this as a mother. I was a young mother at 25 years old with my firstborn. And but that from coming out of the womb to five years old is is so crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, you're being basically branded at that time. Right. You know, Absolutely. and so of those things that you, you it's say. So interesting so that you mentioned that because right before Katie had moved out, when she was eighteen, she had gotten a letter or a Facebook message from this gentleman who said, you know, my name is Mike, and I actually had raised you for the first year. I thought you were my daughter. And then your mom ends up coming back after, you know, after a year saying you're not mine. And I tried to get you, like, on top of all of everything she's going through, she gets this letter, right? And so we're going back to her therapist, and we're worried, we're concerned. How can she handle more I get I I don't know how to express it but it was like I almost felt like I wanted to be like this warrior that was like you know fighting the the you know the arrows that were being flung at her like we'll stand there and we'll take them you know it's like how my husband and I were but at the same time you're like realizing oh my mom pawned me off to this person and pawned me off to that person and then she never really had a real relationship with her biological dad and there's all these things that are compounded and um so you you have this like I don't I'm not a therapist you know I remember when we got that letter just being like at her therapist my husband like what I don't even know how to handle this we don't even know what to do how help us you know we're we'll do whatever you want us to do and I'm I'm sure Dr. Zavala you get that where it's like people come to you and it's like I think that that is the hard part is I think Katie was going to these doctors and getting these meds Mm -hmm. and thinking this isn't going to be the solution. Right. And we put so much value in medication and I'm not saying that medication isn't good when it's needed, but should we look at other things? Should we only rely on, we put, Instead of like, it's the conversation that you have with the doctor. It's the them getting to know your past. Like, you know, we, I'm sure you deal with this where you, you, you get rushed through your doctor, right? You're there yeah. 10 minutes. Like, how do you know what's going on with me in 10 minutes? Right. Like it goes, I think it goes so far deeper than that, you know, and that, that was something I was so impressed. Like at brain health was just to watch the conversations that you had you talk to people, you get to know who they are and what they're dealing with. And I feel like in regular medicine, it's missing. Right. Well, we're definitely, I feel, even though we talk for 30, 45 minutes, it still feel like we're scratching the surface, Um, talking to people and just unraveling. I mean, mental health is, as we're researching, there's just so many components to it. 
that you just start getting into. And that's why when we do these patient health questionnaires, PHU-9, uh, we're trying to get the pulse of their mental health. And when they have a certain number or a certain level of severity of how kind of bad this is or how many issues are going on, we have to, we have to tell them, you gotta be in counseling, you gotta be in therapy, so, you know, to kind of spread the wealth in the fact that other people need to be in on this and to help us out. You know, what we do is very powerful, but we also need, you know, we hear this all the time, say, I've been to therapists, I've been to counseling, and it's just not doing anything. And what I have to tell them is that when they go through the brain treatment center and they get their treatments, that they'll start to get traction of those types of modalities. And so to, you know, it's one of those things I don't ever say, trust me, <laughs> because they're not trusted. But I, I just want to say that and just say, please, just bear with us, but please stick with this and, and go through that. So um, some people are just flat out, I'm not doing it, and we'll try this. And kind of one of those things that's like a last-ditch effort. And I feel that's what we're doing when you just talked about that situation. You know, the hopelessness seems to be the final straw. Mm -hmm. And when people lose that hope, uh, that's when really anything can happen. And so when I hear patients saying that, you know, that just, I, I just get, I get worried, yeah. you know? And so um, we, I, I just, you know, it's hard for me to just say, cause we're not, it's not an inpatient thing. So they've got to come back to us every day. Mm -hmm. And so when we start seeing patients missing appointments and things like, it looks like, oh, okay. So we get on the horn, we start calling them, making sure what's going on. We don't want to, you know, bug you here, but, you need to, we, you need to get in here mm -hmm. and is it a ride? I'll come pick you up, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. So there's just, uh, we need the help of other professionals, um, to, to continue doing what they're doing and, and then we can kind of get there mm -hmm. and we've seen it. We've seen people's lives changed in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, two, four weeks, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Brain health is no longer only for those who are suffering from major psychological disorders. For many, COVID-19 has amplified these issues. Maintaining and treating conditions such as anxiety, brain fog, and mood swings is as simple as a checkup with brain health restoration. As you have these treatments, you start to see changes. The brain starts functioning in the way that it's supposed to. I'm not anxious anymore. I don't have depression. I sleep better. I have this sense of peace. Take control of your brain health today. Visit brainhealthrestoration.com. Use the code CAMI to get 10% off your first treatment. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear because I, I hear myself saying to my friends and to people at the gym, it takes a tribe to raise a family. It takes a tribe. And as I sit here and listen to Dr. Zavala, um, it's so courageous of you guys as a company, right? To say, you know what? As much as we're going to do here and help, 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 we're also going to send you in and get you help over here. And then it becomes a tribe that's help that's helping, which is, it's all, it's honestly uncommon because everyone wants to hoard and be the, be the hero. Right. You know, right. but really it, it, I'm noticing that it's not just with the family, it's with individuals. And when Dr. Zavala, when I, when I wrote out all my, my answers to all your questions that you're asking me, there was a line on there that said, do you have suicidal thoughts? You know, and for me, I, I didn't have suicidal thoughts, but 
I have a friend that's there right now in treatment that has suicidal thoughts. And, and that person is uh, 20 sessions in and, and, and he's kind of on limbo on the next 10, but his whole life has completely changed, not only because he's seen everyone at Brain Restoration, uh, but also the therapists and the counselors uh, to help him. Um, he's in motion, he's in exercise, right? Um, and he's noticing that his medicine is also his food, not the prescriptions, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Absolutely. But you don't, like you said, Connie, if you're not getting educated, then we mm-hmm. don't know. And this is about us as families, as, as individuals, coworkers, to be educated and to be our own advocate, you yeah. know? And if there's someone at work that feels a certain way and that is expressing themselves and saying, um, you know, given the, the signs of suicide behaviors, it's, it's kind of a responsibility to, to like see these and how I think, you know, in, in, with brain health restoration, there's a protocol that you have that you're following with each patient. And I think the problem is we don't have a mental health protocol in life, Mm -hmm. right? We don't, I know that in conversations now that I've had with Katie's friend who she told, you're not trained to take that information in. In her mind, she was like, I, I see this girl, like we are raising our kids together. Or we are hanging out as families together. When she said to me, I wouldn't do it because of my kids, she took that for a, for for the word of Bible, right? right. It was the word of God. Okay, yeah. Katie would never do that because yep, her, kids. her kids. So it, So I don't need to tell anyone else. And that poor girl's husband is an EMT. She's... Again, the suicide affects the people that are left behind. That poor girl, I said to her over and over, this was not your fault. This was years of trauma. You did nothing wrong. And I encouraged her. I said, I hope that you're in therapy. I hope that you're, whether it's someone at your church or a professional, I hope you're getting the help that you need because you do not need to be living with this burden. But at the same time, it's us now having that conversation. What do I do? If Cammie comes to me tomorrow and says, oh my gosh, one of the ladies I train at the gym just opened up to me. She's really struggling with depression. She told me she wants to end her life. What does Cammie do? We don't know. We don't have those resources. Yes, I would say call crisis support services immediately. Talk to someone so that you can get a better understanding. There's professionals that can help you handle that situation. But I just think in general, to go all the way back, we're not educating kids. We're not showing them the signs. We're not even comfortable enough to have the conversation. I think, unfortunately, COVID is making us have those conversations because more and more people are having these just their, these feelings of anxiety and depression that they've never had before. So the conversation is starting, but you don't always you don't always know how to how to approach it. And I can tell you. I had an opportunity. I, I had this idea, this crazy concept that I wanted the suicide prevention hotline number on all of on the interstates. I thought it needed to be on there. You need to have some sort of positive message. I was emceeing an event down in Vegas. Lieutenant Governor was there, and I just walked right up to her. She was in line, and I was chatting with her, and I just put it out there. I was like, look, my daughter was a veteran who took her own life. This is what I want to have happen. And I know I'm dumping a lot on you right now in line for dinner, but I want something to happen. 
And I was like, and I could tell the minute you talk about suicide to someone, they don't know how to respond to you. Now, granted, she sat there with me and talked to me, gave me a card. We were able to get the You Matter More campaign that happened during the holidays across the state, tied in with crisis support services. We got things done. But I can tell you that that conversation, it's hard. I have people that, I have friends that don't talk to me anymore because they don't know how to respond. That we've lost a child. Mm -hmm. It's a suicide. They don't, they feel as though it's a contagious disease. Mm -hmm. It's COVID to them. And and I, it's scary because we are not comfortable having mental health conversations. I had a conversation with a woman that lost her son um, a little while ago, but we were talking on the project you with Cammie Craig um, about grieving and mourning. And she goes, Cammie, I wish people would come up to me and remind me of the memories that they also had of my son. And just to, it's not a, it's not the plague in front of me. Right. You know, and I was, and that helped me. Like even today, talking with Connie, I mean, real talk, I'd be like, how do we go about this? Right. You know, because this is a very uncomfortable situation. Truth be told, that's the way I felt too. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I, not that it anywhere compares to what you've talked about, but I've, I've gone through my own little bout of, you know, suicidal ideation and thoughts and it lasted 48 hours. And I think there's a reason why I had that. Um, as far as this happened while I was at brain health in, in the very beginning. And so I now can, I felt it. I know my thoughts. I can go back to those days and actually remember how I felt, but thinking how I like right now, I'm not in that state of mind. So I don't have those thoughts in there, but I know how people are struggling with. So I, I feel like I can relate a little bit more mm-hmm. to, to people. But again, going through what you went through, I don't know how um, me and my wife would deal with it if this happened to one of our kids, you know? And so I think there's a level of just being uncomfortable about that. It's like what I can't even fathom that happening right right because there's nothing natural about your child dying before you right there's right. nothing right. natural about especially that. that way and especially in yeah. that circumstance right. they're just and, and I, you know and, and i'll be honest to go from an experience where we saw our daughter we we're rebuilding a relationship <laughs> we see her improving we see her in this different light she seems so happy she's embraced being a mom she seems very grounded and then to then talk to people later on that said well she yep. you know was not really sure if she wanted to stay married or wasn't sure if she really should have had a third baby so young or you know there was all these other things that were compounding had an, still an unstable relationship with her own mom like not and now I know more about bipolar disorder too, that it's like when you're at that low, you'll do anything to get that high, whatever that may be. For some it's drugs, for some it's you know love, for you know whatever it is, you're gonna find a way to get there because you know what the low is. Right. And so you're gonna do whatever you can to get to that high. And I don't blame her. I would, you know, we all wanna be, how many of us wanna be sad and depressed we don't we want to have a good life and we want to be positive mm-hmm. and so you're going to latch on to the things that you think are going to give you those but they were conversations that my husband and i had had many times like how can you when your own mental health is in 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 balance be able to be a 
committed parent to three young babies and not you're you've got to be struggling to keep the balls in the air and that's a part of the the concept that we hear on the plane every day put your put your oxygen mask on yourself first before on anyone else right and this is a whole nother level of of katie just reminding me that taking that week off last week was okay absolutely take it's okay i didn't yeah Yeah. and you must and if not then we're not there for our kids Mm -hmm. we're not there for our husband and you know our workspace and and I, i just think that statement alone is taken for granted and not really not really acted on a lot because she did have a lot of stress. She did. You know, and, and she had a lot of, she and, had elevated and, stress. She had stress in the past. And you have this, you know, we don't know, you know, I didn't have a scan of her brain. What I'm going based on is past histories, family history. I mean, we know now through genetics, you know, with more and more people are doing the 23andMe or you're doing some sort of finding out where your health is. You know, which I think is wonderful. I think it's an advancement in and of itself of health, of where you know you're basically being handed a blueprint right. now of your of your makeup, and I think we can utilize that. But at the same time, what if that information comes back that you're schizophrenic or this you know a mental health condition runs in your family? You know, I heard a lady the other day that's taking care of her schizophrenic son, and she says, we have plenty of programs for the neck down. We have nothing for the neck up in the state mm-hmm. of Nevada. When I call to have someone help me with my son who lives with schizophrenia, they say, oh, he has a mental health condition. We can't help you. Well, that's awesome. You have a cardiovascular disease. You have diabetes. You know, you have sickle cell anemia. We got all kinds of programs for you, mm-hmm. but we don't in the state of Nevada. We are 51st in the nation. 51st. Wow. We're at the bottom of the bucket because we don't have the mental health services. We have the greatest need and the least amount of resources. Well, and this is where Dr. Zavala really gets to chime in and talk about our, our topic. Be It is suicide, but it's the what neurobiology can tell us about suicide. And I'm through my research, I'm, I'm realizing that there's biochemical pathways that regulate the brain's response to stress stress and all the other things that that happen to be part of Katie's scenario can be seen can be known and 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 hopefully we can intervene and and I know through being at brain health restoration um I was doing a lot of research on and I kept seeing brain scans brain scans and I'm like can't doc can you look at someone's brain and being like yes suicidal I wish I could (laughs) I just being honest I wish we could it there are some severities of illness that we would say or or, uh, an EEG that we know that someone's struggling but we put that together with like we said before that the patient health questionnaire nine we talk to them I mean it's a comprehensive approach uh, but I know when someone is when someone gives me their story I see their score I can kind of envision what that EEG is going to look like but I, it, there's really no pattern uh, to answer that question. I, it's, um, it's tough because when we see, especially that one box that's checked at self-harm, you know, again, mm-hmm. we really just start going, okay, we, we, we've got to make this happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and it's just, it's so tough when um, I've had patients in there that, that do say that that's what's, you know, they're, they're telling me this or they're open, opening up about it and they'll tell me that I've had those thoughts 
but they go away quickly. And so I'm like, oh, thank God, you know. Mm -hmm. So they're at least talking about it. But, you know, you said something that I've heard so many times before, but they seem so happy, you know. Oh, absolutely. At, up until the very end. And and mm -hmm. that's where people just, what could I have done? You know, mm -hmm. what what is there any way I could intervene? Because it, they seem so happy. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, when someone's opening up, just like they open up to their friends or somebody, they're trying to just dig and see if they can get some help. I just feel, you know, happy that we have those questionnaires. We can talk about it. They, they can let me know. And if they're just in a bad way, you know, look, I need help too. I am not a psychiatrist. I don't pretend to be one um, or a therapist or a psychotherapist or anything. But I do, working there has taught me a lot more about how to treat patients and, and um, see them in, not as a, a code, a diagnosis code. Mm -hmm. Seeing them just as something that is, we use that word disharmony. And, and restoring that mm -hmm. and getting that harmony. And that's all we can do. And then reaching out and just getting other people to help us, so. Well, part of that is to take the mask off, mm -hmm. the facade. I, I just thought of Robin Williams, you know? Oh, yeah. Tears of a clown. Come yeah. on. That was, yeah. everything was fine. It looked good. Mm -hmm. He was so funny. He was so successful, mm -hmm. all those things. And he was battling so hard, mm -hmm. like a Katie. You know, and I think that that opens up a, a, a whole can of worms when you're talking about being there for other people, letting them take, the, take off their mask. I mean, we don't walk around as friends and mothers and spouses with a questionnaire, right. you know? Right. right. Well, and then look at the world that we've kind of created for ourselves. You know, when we look on social media, is it? It's all happy, right? right? Everything's great. My life is awesome. You I went know. to Santa Cruz and my kid is 11 and everything's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. I still have a bad day, but we're not putting that out. No. So now you're you have younger generation that is growing up, you know, who have their whole, you know, their world is social media, right? They they're very much exposed to that at such a young age and you know, there's a lot of kids now that, you know, it's part of their lives every day, right? It's not like we can imagine, we know a world where we didn't have that. That's right. But are those factors to, to us, well, we have to have such a good life so we don't want to talk about the things that are wrong or we don't want to talk about, have the conversation that I'm not feeling well. I mean, how many of the people walk into brain health and maybe have never had anyone ask that question? Mm -hmm. Do right. you have suicidal thoughts? Point blank. Right. I mean, they. I noticed in uh, uh, pediatrics now is asking kids, "How are you feeling? Are you happy? Are you sad some days?" Like they're really, because it used to be like you come in, you get your physical. You know, mm -hmm. again, from the neck down, we check mm -hmm. you out, but we're mm -hmm. not doing anything for the neck up. We're not talking, and now we're starting to see that integrated into everyday medicine. And I think that that is. If I were to see anything that's positive, it's that, that we're we're asking kids now, you know, sure you're mad, you know, I don't like school or, you know, what is that? Can we dig further? Are they not liking school? Because now we know they're dyslexic. That's why they don't like school. Embarrassed. They, yeah, they're embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Or are they being bullied? And we didn't know that. Like we're having these conversations that we didn't have before. They were not, no one ever asked me. When I was growing up as a kid, you know, is everything good for you? You know, my parents moved me to a foreign country when I was 12 years old. I was terrified. Yeah. Nobody had a conversation with me and said, hey, I know this is hard for you, you know, moving to the Philippines and you're in sixth grade and whole new culture shock. It was just like, 
well, you know, this is, we just plow on through. Yep. And now we're starting to have those conversations that, that it's okay, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay, but it's also okay to ask for help. I think that would be the next thing. It's not just that it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to not ask for help or to not say anything about that. And you brought up uh, social media. I just saw a uh, documentary on HBO, and I don't even know the name of it, but it was something about influencers. You probably, you guys probably know about this. It, I was, I couldn't believe it. My mouth was on the ground. Yeah. What people will do to go to the lengths to be famous, right? Right. And they were taking toilet seat covers and putting it up and taking a selfie, and it's supposed to, and it actually looked like they're on a private plane. Wow. That this mm -hmm. is the level they got to. And then it, it, it goes, you know, they took three people and tried to make them famous just that, that were just average Joes, right? And at the end, all three of them, it, COVID hit and part of it. So they kind of shut down what, what they could do and, you know, mm -hmm. pretend they're at the beach. Well, no one's traveling. They're not going to the beach. So at the end, they kind of realized that, wow, what, what was I doing? Mm -hmm. And they looked at that. But... The point is, is the, the, the people who are struggling, looking at these fake people, posting these things, making them feel worse about themselves. I mean, look, I, I, I that as a parent, mm -hmm. I am, our kids are not on social media. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then it won't. And, you know, for, for me, I was, and then, you know, why don't you post? It's, it was for my parents. So mm -hmm. they can kind of, they live in Idaho, so they can get some pictures for my kids and just kind of keep in touch with us. But you know what? I'll pick up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'll text them. Right. I'll my text pictures. Them, right. Yeah. So I play words and with friends with my dad every day. So I know he's, he's, he's still there. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, uh, but just imagine though, if you're someone who is with a mental health condition where you're already struggling to fit in actual reality mm -hmm. and then you're seeing this, you know, facade on, how everything is so great on everyone else's social media. So then you think you start to fall even further into that That's hole right. of where you're not thinking clearly or you, you see things differently already. You're trying to stay on this level and it's a challenge for you. And, and I'm not, you know, people, you could probably argue both sides, you know, that mm -hmm. I do believe that there is absolutely some sort of chemical imbalance or something that is happening in the brain. But I believe that there should be more options on the table. There should have been more options for Katie. As it shouldn't have Right. It shouldn't have just been, hey, we'll try this med out for a week and right. then we'll try a new med out for the next week. What happened to the two weeks in between so that we can slowly wean her off that first med before we're put, pu putting another med into someone? And that happens more often than not. Right. I I've talked to people that, well, what, you know, at one point my brother was easily on seven to eight varying medications. It wasn't until my, my mother was able to get him into a program mm -hmm. through the University of Washington where they discovered him and his son are missing one chromosome. Mm -hmm. So now they were able to wean him off certain meds, more with CBD, and then he has three psychotic meds that he's on, but he's leveled out. Now my mom is an advocate. How many people out there don't have an advocate? Katie wasn't at, was trying to get the help. Sure, she had her husband, he's working 60 hours a week. How much of an advocate is he really? Mm -hmm. How much does he really know what's going on when he's at work all day. 
Or what about the people that we see that are homeless that are struggling? Do they have an advocate that's out there navigating the system? Like people don't know that if you're mistreated from an insurance, you know, if it's a mental health, you, it's, you know, it's parity, you should be treated equal. And that doesn't happen, but people don't know that you're supposed to contact the head of the, you know, the, the legislative insurance bureau. People don't know that. They don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they News think to me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like, just imagine if you're struggling with a mental health condition and you have to navigate this system, you know, I'm, I consider myself pretty mentally straight and I couldn't navigate that. Right. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to be a, a business owner and try to get insurance. You know, mm-hmm. if you're living with a mental health condition, you're relying on doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Because you think they know best. We have been brought up. I mean, before I ever met you, I was like, well, he's a doctor. He must know what he's talking about. You know, luckily I met you and was very impressed by you. <laughs> but do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. we automatically just hand over. And it's interesting because uh, my husband and I just recently started, uh, we're doing, uh, you know, where you pay for the doctor. It's a concierge medicine. Mm-hmm. medicine. We, had, we got to interview our doctor. Like we were on a call with him for 45 minutes. I'm like... I've never done this before, but guess what? This is awesome. I got to interview him just as he was interviewing us. Like, are we right for him? And I think that this is where we're going to start to see things. Telehealth medicine is becoming very big during COVID. We have accessibility. Nevada also has a problem because we have such a huge rural population. It's very difficult for someone who's having a traumatic mental health in Tonopah to get help. Yep. Telehealth would then be an answer or an option for them so that they could get to a a mental health provider quicker. So I I see that we're making strides, but as a parent that's lost a child, you want those strides to happen. I want it to be a sprint. I want you to be running as fast as you can. I want, you know, Usain Bolt is what I'm looking for. (laughs) Well, well, going, wrapping this up, you guys, Connie and Dr. Zavala, we need to know that there's suicide behaviors, right? There's suicide behaviors that we can all be alert to. And as I'm listening to you two talk, it just keeps jumping at me. People need to be kinder. Mm -hmm. People need to love more. Mm -hmm. People need to know why we're here on stinking earth. And it's not just to be selfish and do the drugs and get the high and, you know, fake it till you make it or whatever. We need to be open like this and we need to be vulnerable because I didn't know <laughs> telehealth was a thing. I didn't mm-hmm. know that those are questions and, and avenues that we could take and, and because that I'm I and because I'm open to explore and discover, there could be the coffee shop girl that I could help later on two years down from now. Right? But we all need to be open. We all need to know that the behaviors are suicidal thinking. Uh, uh, ideation attempt and and then there's an unfortunate situation of completion and if someone says something to you don't feel that you need to have the answer you know just like you said dr zavala yes. you're not a therapist right. but you know when a patient comes in and says this to you you know okay we got to follow up we got to make yeah. sure if they miss their appointment we if need I to clammed up that would be awful right exactly right? and so, not talk about it and and I think I would encourage anyone to, if you don't have the answers, if someone says to you, I'm having these thoughts, I would 
honestly say to them, I, I love you, I'm worried about you, I'm concerned for you, and I do want to reach out to someone to help you. And if that person says, no, 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 it's not fine, you know, everything's gonna be fine, you still should reach out to someone because that's gonna be on your conscience. This happened at the gym last week. I hadn't seen a woman for two weeks. She's in a Project C program. It's a 12-week deal, so the chick's got to be there, you know, just like you, like you're a set appointment. One of her friends comes in, which is a, a co-worker of hers, and says, hey, have you heard what's from so-and-so? I said, you know what? I haven't seen her in some time. I text her, but I didn't hear back. So then, right then, she tells me some background, and there was some depressiveness. There was some thoughts, you know, some things. So I went with my gut. I went with my heart. I wasn't attempting to be the hero. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to save the day, right? I just needed to go from my heart, what, what, what she would do. And I just reached out and said, Hey girl, I'm thinking of you. I miss you. And I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. And then it was a conversation. And then at the end, she showed up at the gym the next day and she's there and she's been there ever since. But she was in a serious low. And I'm realizing even in my profession, like I'm seeing these, um, these types of personalities and so, so forth. But anyway, she was in that super low. And just the other day, she thanked me. Thank you so much for caring. I was the only person that reached out to her. That's all it took. It, all it took. It's yeah. so, I think people they put a lot of pressure on themselves to have the answers when really it is that as, as simple as that, checking in with that person, having conversations with them, letting them know that you're there, yeah. letting them know uh, that, you know, w with Katie's friends, they saw her, you know, not coming out with the kids to the park. The regular routines were not what they used to be. And you know, we all kind of get caught up in our own routine, but then when there is that person that you see all the time and then things are changing, I think if you really, if we get out of our bubble for a minute, we'll see, oh my gosh, this, this is an unusual behavior for that person. Usually we're always, we always do something together, you know, Thursdays and Fridays, that's our time together. And then if that doesn't happen, just being aware of those things that are happening around you and and being okay with the one friend didn't tell the other friends and now she's upset because she didn't say anything mm -hmm. say something you don't know if I had said something to Cammy about a friend that we both had that maybe oh Cammy's like oh my gosh you're right I normally see her every Tuesday and Wednesday and now I don't see her I need to find out what's wrong too so then there becomes this it's almost like a net like we become our own net mm -hmm. yep of supporting one another and that is you know in its simplest form i wish that people you know for us we always say you know hashtag for katie that's what we're doing for katie is that when i see something that isn't right or i'm experiencing something from a friend that i normally have a really solid relationship with just asking them, getting back in touch with them. Do you need anything? Are you okay? And if you're scared or you don't know how to respond back to them, that's why there's places like crisis support services. It's not just for the person in crisis. It's some. It's for someone who doesn't know, that doesn't have the answers. That's right. So they can get you in touch with someone that can help you. Right. And we have to learn to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah, and... 
And another thought, and we'll we'll end this, but I, I had a, a friend of a friend that gave a secret to a girlfriend. And that secret was this her husband, and it was strangling her, and she was passing out in her bathroom. Okay? It was a secret. Right? Jeez. And that secret wasn't to be told to anyone. And a month later on Thanksgiving, that woman was 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 missing. And two days later, she was found naked on the side of the road, and a, a worker had found her, and, and now, now everything's coming to fruition, right? And that woman says, I wish I never kept that secret. Yeah. It's so you know, true. Because that could have been the opening to saving her life. Mm -hmm. sure. And... And I just, I get reminded of that. Not everything, like you said, when we grow up and, oh, we got to hide mom doing the drugs and we got to hide mom, dad beating the wife and we got to hide this. You know, things under the rug and things put on mm -hmm. the shelf, they get, they're going to get so dusty that's going to blow all over you and they're going to get, um, that rug is going to be a mound that you can't even look at it anymore without disgust and also stress. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not worth it to live that life, you know, so... I ask friends to be better friends and to reach out to professionals like your guys' selves and, and to get that help because I sure as crap know if I don't know, I'm calling one of you two because you guys have resources. And, 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 and the It is. It's just like, you know, we always tell our kids, you know, something isn't right. You know, you see something, say something. Or yeah. It's no different as an adult. I think sometimes we forget the things that we were teaching our kids are just as important for one another. You know, if, if I see that something isn't right with a mutual friend, we need to talk about that. Or if I see something that's not right with a loved one, we need to talk about that. Yeah. You know, I will, you know, the thing about suicide is that I'm able to talk about this. It's not that every day I'm over it. You're never over it. There's never, I mean, there's a part of our soul is gone. There's nothing to put that void back. It's gone. But what we can fill it with is that we will always make sure that her kids know who she is. We will always continue to fight for others who are like her that struggled. And we will continue to have the conversation. Like, that's what we can do. I can't do anything else to fill that void. But if I can get the word out that brain health restoration is another option for people, then I will do that. Because for me, I would want someone to do that for me. I would want someone to fight for me. And we weren't able to save Katie, but if we can find ways by sharing our story to save other lives, her life is not wasted. It's here to make a statement. And that statement is that you matter, you're loved, and that even the person that you buy the milk from will miss you. You will be missed. You will. Dr. Zavala, thank you so much for being here today thank with us. Thank you for having me. You're one incredible human, and um, he's with Brain Health Restoration, and I know he's a phone call away if anyone needs uh, even just some, some questions answered on, on, on what service you give over there. So thank you so much. And Connie Ray, can people get a hold of you? Yeah, um, you can find me anywhere. I'm all over social media. Um, and Ray is W-R-A-Y. W-R-A-Y. Yep. And uh, thank you, Cami, for having this conversation. And I love that your podcast is really, you're diving into some deep things. It's not easy. We don't always like ourselves. We're always, we're a work in progress. I mean, I'm not perfect and I'm still... 
learning to manage and, and maneuver different things. But I know that the more that we have conversations about mental health, the more we can make changes yeah. and the more Nevada for us, we can truly get out from being 51. Like yeah. that is my this, goal. This, this, this state has a, a spirit over it. And unfortunately it's the, you know, 24 hour city we live in and the whole thing, you know, and we can break that. We can break Absolutely. that one person at a time. And, and think about if we were to do that, how many other states are going to look to us and say, wow, what they, you do? how did you do that? Yeah. I mean, how were you able to do that? We want to become better. We want to have better mental health services. We, and we're getting there. There yeah. are programs, you know, brain health restoration is just one of the, the small things that we're doing in our state to provide better mental health care. But I think for me and my family and what we know now, I want brain health restoration as an option on the table at any time. And we're gonna work to continue to get insurance companies to realize that as well, because it's not one size fits all. So cool. It is not. So and cool. we need better options. Yep. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Without without a Connie Ray, things aren't happening. So, <laughs> Chick, you keep doing the do and and be purpose filled and intentful and hashtag for Katie. Yeah, yeah. And and as we as we say so long until next time, I I do want to send my love to you and your family. I want to send my love to people that are struggling out there right now because you reminded me of all the times that, gosh. Dr. Zavala and Jeff Hadwick and I sat here in our in my kitchen. We took this really cool picture and, and everyone's smiling, da da da. And I didn't po- I posted that picture, you know, Connie? And then when I left here and drove out, I'm probably gonna do it today, bawled my eyes out. Yeah. You know, because life hits you in the gut. You're like, it's not it's not all what it's cracked up to be all the time. I can feel down and can have these weird thoughts and I can't be so thankful for people like you. And you just lose your freaking crap. You know, I think that is is so important to feel. Yeah, it is. And it's okay because what we do is we see that facade, you know, the social media, Mm -hmm. you know, fakeness of it. And I've I've been a part of it and I wish I could show my tears on the deal, but I'm not doing the selfie right now. (laughs) But it's just real. And thank you guys so much for just being real because I felt so safe with Dr. Zavala. I was able to go in there two months later. I was so scared for two months. I'm like, no, he can't know. He can't know. He can't know. And I didn't tell him every small detail, but he knew enough to help. You know, he get, he created a safe space for me. And then my brain just get, kept getting zapped, you know, z- 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 over and over. And all of a sudden, with all the elements put together, I started to feel better and better. And I, and I wish Katie was able to meet a Dr. Zavala and someone that cares. And, and anyways, I just want to say thank you guys. Thank you for being vulnerable and thank you for touching people's lives because I do agree that this is another reason why we're on earth. That's right. You know, it really is. So again, until next time, you guys, I hope you're doing super well and, and please write down in your journal, your raw emotions, your raw emotions towards this topic, your raw emotions towards someone that is battling right now. And and that might need to hear this. It's, it's a, it's a quick, hold your thumb down on it, copy the link and send it out through a text message and, and may Connie and may Dr. Zavala be a vessel in your lives. Thank you guys so much. And we'll talk to you very soon. Look forward to brain health restoration in monthly topics. And I know Dr. Zavala 
and I are going to start chatting about anxiety and depression soon as well. Great. All righty, guys. Thank you. My obedience determines my outcome. My discipline determines my destiny. My faith determines my focus.